Amen. Anybody else glad he reached down for him? Amen. Thank you, Winston. Thank you, choir, Marty, Terry, everybody. What a great job. Great job. Thank the Lord. Colossians chapter 1 is where I'll invite you to turn your copy of God's Word this morning. If you, uh, if you don't have that, that uh, it'll be on the screen. The text is also on the front of your worship guide today. Uh, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, Colossians chapter 1. Been a long week, folks. Amen. Uh, verse 13 through 18 is where we'll be reading here in just a moment. Boy, I'm grateful. That old song. First time I heard that rendition of that song was uh, at the pastor's conference in First Baptist Church, Jacksonville, Florida. A little unknown guy named Charles Billingsley. Y'all ever heard of him? Nobody has, right? No, Charles Billingsley sang that song. And, uh, you know, Angie did something. I tell you, these pastors' wives got to watch them. She used Caitlin as a decoy and got Caitlin to go up there and say, tell him you want your picture made with him. And so, anyhow, Angie really wanted her picture made with him. But anyhow, but so Caitlin has a picture when she's like five years old with a very young Charles Billingsley and, and she that's her claim to fame I guess but anyhow what a blessed wonderful song how he reached down his hand for me Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 if you found your place and physically able would you stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of the word of God Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 reading through verse 18 here's what the word of God says it says he has delivered us from the power of darkness. And he has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that your word would speak mightily to our hearts today, that we have open ears, hearts, and minds to receive your word. God, as we receive your word, that we might respond as the Spirit of the living God bids us today. And Father, that we would not leave this building the way we came, but that we would leave changed by the power of the word of God. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, you can be seated. Today we're continuing our series through the book of Colossians that we're calling our Supreme Savior because this book gives clear uh, writing toward the preeminence of Christ in all things. Today I'm speaking to you on the subject of He is Lord. Aren't you glad He is Lord? The scripture today clearly defines that for us. And I believe it's something we need to look at very closely today. See, throughout history, there's always been much debate about the identity and the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Most in historians 
try to just regard him as a good teacher. Some would even say he is a man of great and high moral standards. Others have dismissed his identity, dismissed him completely as a mere fantasy or a fictitious story. I once heard Josh McDowell speak on the identity and the authority of Christ years ago, and he said when you look at the life of Jesus, you have to decide whether he is liar, lunatic, or Lord. He says he's got to be one or the other. And when you go through the process of eliminating that, you clearly see that the scriptures teach us, history reveals for us, he is not a liar. He is not a lunatic. He is Lord. Many ask, can his claims of being one with the Father be true? And yes, they can. Can the works of his miracles be validated? Oh, yes, they can. Some would even ask, could he just be a con artist or is the Christ, as Peter said, is he the son of the living God? Well, our text today clearly speaks to this subject, speaks to it as the apostle Paul writes to the church because this church at Colossae, one he never visited personally, but had a great investment in in the fact of his relationship with Epaphroditus and also with their pastor there at Philemon's house. So we see these things and we see in that city how that Gnosticism was spreading rapidly. So how could they continue to refute the false claims of the Gnostics and even other false teachers that were present when it comes to the authority of God's word? Well, my prayer today is, is that the word of God will help us, strengthen us, so that we might remain faithful to declare the true identity of Jesus Christ thousands of years later to a world that is still asking, who is this man and is he truly the son of God? As we walk through the text today, I want you to notice several things. First thing I want you to notice today is that Jesus Christ, according to verses 13 and 14, is the redeemer of the fallen. Here's what the scriptures clearly teach us. The scriptures teach us that all have sinned according to Romans 3.23. That means you, me, everybody has committed sin. The scriptures also teach us that all are unrighteous according to Romans chapter 3, verse 10. The Bible also teaches us that all are eligible to receive the gift of eternal salvation according to John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 and many others. Many would say, I don't believe that all are eligible. I'm grateful to God that whosoever includes every person in this building, every person on the sun, every person who has ever lived or every person who will live in the future has the opportunity to receive the gift of eternal salvation. When we talk about him being the redeemer of the fallen, we must understand a few things. One we must understand is, is that he has delivered us from our darkness according to verse 13. When I think about these things, I think about the meaning of the word delivered. In the original language, this word delivered means to draw to oneself, or get this, or to rescue from danger. All of us are sinners, so we were in danger of spending eternity separated from God in an awful, literal place called hell. Amen? 
This past week, I was awakened early a couple of times. I don't know if that happens to y'all. Uh, they tell me, men, as we get older, that happens a lot. But uh, anyhow, I was awakened two separate times this week. One time I was awakened as I was thinking about what I was working on this week to speak to you at 3.16 a.m. I began to think as soon as I woke up, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. The next morning, I was awakened at 3.30. My mind went directly to John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Two times early in the morning that as I was awakened, I was quickly reminded of scripture that spoke to my heart about the fact that God loves us, Jesus went to the cross to purchase eternal life for us, and that every day in my journey with him, as he increases, I must decrease. You say, well, that's no big deal, but look, you get the gist behind the passage in John 3.30. Here he is talking about Jesus. John has been the cock of the walk. He's been the man. He's been baptized, and some tell us over 300,000 people. He's been the one preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But from the very moment Jesus came on the scene, his ministry faded as Jesus' popularity rose. He said this, I must decrease because he must increase. Ladies and gentlemen, can I say to you today, in the world that we're living in as followers of Jesus Christ, we must continually each day realize we are nothing and he is everything. We must allow him to increase as we decrease. See, we've been delivered if you're a child of God today and you've been rescued from a danger in eternal hell. Here's what John 3.18 says. We read John 3.16 and we even read John 3.17 that says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And a lot of folks say, Well, you know, I don't understand you preachers. Y'all just condemn everybody. And I want you to know something today. According to John 3.18, condemnation is not my responsibility and it's not what I'm here to do. Here's what John 3.18 says. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. I'm going to say it again loud for the folks in the back in the balcony to hear, okay? He who does not believe is condemned already. So it's not what the preacher says or does. It's what the Word of God says, that if you do not believe and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the condemnation is upon you already because you are a sinner. Here's what he says. He's condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Wow. But here's the good news. Even though condemnation is upon you because you are a sinner, when you come to Jesus Christ, he removes the penalty of condemnation. Paul wrote in, that in Roman, excuse me, yeah, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God today. I can report to you that even though condemnation was upon all the human race because of our fallen sin nature, Jesus Christ paid the price on Calvary's cross to remove the penalty of condemnation for eternity. 
Oh, God, help us today. We've all got a common problem in the fact that we cannot deliver ourselves from the guilt and penalty of sin. It's not about doing more good than bad. When a person repents of their sin and trusts Jesus for eternal salvation, here's what happens. They are instantaneously delivered from the penalty of sin, which is eternal death and separation from God in hell. Listen to me. When you come to Jesus, friend, and you call on the name of God to save you from your sin, it is an automatic, instantaneous move of God where he moves in, and when heaven moves in, hell's got to move out. <laughs> That's good news. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen? He is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You may have come in here today carrying the chains and the guilt of the old life. You may have come in here today wondering, what can I do to make God be okay with me? You may come in today saying, I don't know if I'm ever good enough to go to church or go to heaven. Friend, hear me today. It's not about your goodness. It's about his. It's not about the works you do. It's what he did on the cross. And when you come to Jesus today, you can leave as a new creation in Christ Jesus. All the old will pass away and all things will become new. He said he's delivered us from something very particular. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. Now what does that mean? That means the domain, the jurisdiction, or the authority of darkness. Hear me. Any authority that the power of darkness may have had upon this earth was ultimately crushed when Jesus Christ died on the cross and when he was resurrected from the dead three days later. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been delivered from the power of darkness, those who've trusted Christ. Something else I want you to see is he's also not just delivered us from darkness, and I like this part. He has transferred us into his territory. <laughs> this is good stuff right here. You're gonna be glad you came, amen? In just a minute, you're gonna get blessed, even if you said, I'm not gonna get blessed today, amen? I'm not gonna let the preacher bless me today. I'm telling you, you're gonna leave blessed anyhow, amen? Notice what he said last part of verse 13 says he conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. See, after Christ delivered us, he didn't just stop there. Amen? He delivered us and he conveyed us. Here's what that means. He moved us into a new kingdom. Marty, did you type that in your notes? Okay, all right. Look here. He, he moved us into a new kingdom. And the word conveyed in the original language, here's what it does. It describes, oh, this is good. It describes the uprooting of a population of people and deporting them to another country. Woo! <laughs> here's what Jesus did. Here's what God did through Jesus Christ in his death on the cross. When you come to him, he uproots you from the land of sin. He uproots you from the land of bondage. 
He moves you into a new territory. Y'all gonna choke on your chicken at lunch, I'm telling you. Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna be down there eating your taco or something and it's gonna hit you. And you're gonna say, wait a minute. I'm no longer living in this territory. I'm living in his territory. Whoo, Lord have mercy. I, when I was studying about this, I literally walked out of my office, took two trips around the church. I'm just glad I'm not staying in my territory. I can't get over that. Hey, man, that is, that is awesome. He's gonna uproot us and take us to his kingdom. See, the kingdom spoken of here is not just a reference to our future eternal home with him in heaven, but it's a reference to what he's doing for us in the present. It's not just about where we'll be one of these days. It's about the life we can experience between here and there. Wow. See, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're no longer your own person. You've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You no longer live to serve self, Satan, or the world. He has delivered you from the darkness that once gripped your life. You are his, and you are now a part of his body, the church of the living Lord Jesus Christ, and even though you are now walking in the light, you are not immune to the persecution around you. In fact, persecution is clear evidence that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, but the good news is you no longer walk in this world alone with no purpose or direction in life. He has scooped you up He's went down there in the miry pits and that old dirty clay. He's went down to the guttermost to take you to the uttermost. He's come to where you are when you couldn't come to where he was. And he has taken you and brought you into his kingdom. He has given you a new heart. He has given you a new mindset. He's given you a new purpose in life. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, everything is new when you come to Jesus. You can't explain it unless you know him, but when you know him, you just can't get enough of him. God help us. He's transferred us into his territory, but I was fired up to talk to y'all about that. Can y'all tell? Because I'll tell you something right here. Maybe some of you today, you haven't realized what he did for you. You haven't realized that he did pick you up and he did move you and you ought to be different. You ought to live different, walk different, talk different because he's made you different. I used to struggle so much even when I was a young teenager and I, I was like a lot of y'all. I, I wanted to walk with Jesus but I didn't. I wanted to have friends. I wanted to fit in the best I could. And I'd go home some Saturday nights wondering you know, why I don't fit in with the crowd one night, I'll never forget as a young teenage boy, the Lord spoke to me right over there in my bedroom, 110 Azalea Street. He says, son, the reason you don't fit in is I didn't call you out so you'd fit in. I called you out so you'd stand out. You'd stand up. 
You'd speak up. You'd be a voice for right and righteousness. You can't fit in. Look, when you're walking with Jesus, you don't fit in with this so sinful world. So I say to our young people today, if you're not fitting in, it's okay. One day you'll be 40 and nobody cares anymore. Right? It's okay. But you know, there's still a lot of pressure on people, and I should say this to be honest. A lot of pressure on people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s to fit in. I, I bet some of y'all have these things. This ain't even in the notes. I just feel, I gotta say this. Y'all have the pressure to fit in. I'll come on over to the house. We'll have a few social drinks. We're not going to get drunk because the Bible's against drunkenness. Oh, yeah. We're just going to drink in moderation. We're going to be responsible drinkers. Here's the thing about it. When you put something in your body that makes your brake fluid leak, you no longer have the ability to be responsible. That's a good place to say amen, Mark. Now, I know that's not popular, and I know the churches out here, everybody's saying, hey, come to our church. We're cool, you know. We don't have one of those square-headed preachers that don't, you know. Think. No, 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 look here. Hear me. Somebody's got to stand here and be a voice crying in the wilderness. Somebody's got to stand here and say, look here, you don't have to be perfect, and I'm not throwing rocks at you. I'm throwing a rope to you, and if that's you and you're under pressure and you don't know what to do, don't walk out of these doors today saying nobody cares. Listen, I care, and I'll help you. I'll not push you down. I'll not put my foot on your head while you're struggling. I'll do anything I can to help get you up out of that gutter, but I'm telling you something, ladies and gentlemen. You're going to have to make a definite decision in your heart whether you're going to live for Jesus or you're going to try to fit in with this wretched world, and if you're going to try to fit in with this wretched world, you're not going to be able to walk with Jesus. Notice something else, verse 14. This is good news. He's forgiven our failures. It says, in him we have redemption. You know what redemption means? Redemption means to deliver by payment of a ransom. <laughs> it's a word used to speak of freeing slaves from bondage. Wow. The word forgiveness, it means to send away or to cancel a debt. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Dear Lord, I give myself away. It's all that I can do. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, Christ not only set us free and transferred us to a new kingdom, but he canceled every debt so that we cannot be enslaved again. Satan cannot find anything in the files that will indict us. Good stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, some folks today believe They've been forgiven. They're eternally secure. And because they are, they have a license to live as they please. Hear me. When you realize that you've been redeemed, stay with me. When you realize what it costs, when you realize the price that God paid, You know what you want to do? When you realize that you've been forgiven and transferred from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light, here's what you want to do. You no longer want to continue to live the way you did before. You want to walk in a new life. 
You want to walk with a new purpose. Oh, there's an old chorus that says, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. God, help us today. I want you to know, as Wearsby said too, forgiveness is never an excuse for sin, but it is an encouragement for obedience. His forgiveness is not an excuse for me to just keep doing as I please, but it's an encouragement for me to walk hand in hand with the Son of God. Oh, thank God he's forgiven us of our failures. I gotta hurry. Somebody said, I don't believe you will. Notice when in verse 15, he's also the representation of the Father. Oh, I love this. Jesus Christ, according to scripture, was the exact visible representation of God the Father. The Father whom the world had not seen was shown to the world in the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ. I love the scriptures, what it teaches in the book of Hebrews where it says God has set these last days and he has spoken to us by his Son who is appointed heir of all things through whom he made the worlds who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they wow I remember hearing Jerry Vines preach on this years ago, probably 25 years ago. He said what the scripture teaches us about Jesus Christ is is he outspeaks the prophets, he outranks the angels, and he outlasts the universe. (laughs) Amen, I'm grateful for that. The scripture says he has obtained an inheritance for those he has redeemed. Angels, I want you to always remember our created beings to be used by God for the purpose of God. But please don't ever get your theology mixed up and think that one day when you die, you become one. Don't think that grandma or mima or peepaw became an angel and be a part of the heavenly choir. You are not created to be an angel. An angel was created to be an angel. You are not. You never will be. When you die, I want you to hear me. If you're a child of God, the moment you draw your last breath on this side, you'll take your first breath on the other side. The moment you close your eyes in death on this side, you'll open your eyes in the presence of the Son of God. The Bible talks about us because we are also not just created beings. Those who have trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior are redeemed beings. Angels have no idea what it means to be redeemed. They're so interested in it, according to 1 Peter, it's just something they desire to look into. Angels were created for the purpose of what they do, and yes, they are. We, we are, are they real? Absolutely. Have we, according to Hebrews, entertained them unawares? Absolutely. But they are doing and fulfilling the purpose for which they were created. Now, here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to fulfill the purpose for which you were created. You were made in his likeness, created in his image. You were born to serve the Lord. Oh, he is the beginning of creation. The Bible said he's the firstborn. Firstborn does not refer to time, but to place and status. 
We know the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ existed before the creation of the world. We know that he was not the first one to be created since he is the creator of all things. The word firstborn means of first importance or of first rank. Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, was the firstborn over all creation, which means he existed before creation. Amen. He is not a created being like you and I. He is the eternal Son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity. Satan is a created being. He is not equal to Jesus. Y'all see the things all the time, devil and Jesus arm wrestling, who do you think's gonna win? <laughs> wow. They ain't never heard about Calvary, have they, Marty? Yeah, I see the, heard about the story one time, you know, you've probably heard it too. That Satan wanted to get into a man-making contest with God. And God said, go ahead, I'll let you go first. He reached down and grabbed a handful of dirt and God said, go get your own dirt. Amen. <laughs> No, he's a created being. God created the dirt and out of the dust he created a man and he breathed into his nostrils and he became a living soul. God help us. He's the breath of creation according to John 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Oh, he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. Verse 17 tells us he is the basis of creation. Some people might say, preacher, the world's coming apart. Don't you see what's going on in government? Don't you see what's going on in Congress? Don't you see what's going on internationally and threats of Russia and Ukraine and all these different things? Preacher, the world is coming apart. But I want to say something to you. I beg to differ with you. I don't believe the world's coming apart. I believe the world's just coming to Jesus. You say, what are you talking about? People living pagan lives and sinful lives, what do you mean? I'll tell you why. Because he's holding all things together and the world must hear and know that there is one way, one way or another, the world is coming to Jesus either as Savior or Judge. How do you know? Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore God, has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Talking about Jesus, you with me? And at that name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what the world's coming to? The world's coming to Jesus. You can come to Jesus today, repent of your sins and trust him as Savior and receive him as Lord. Or you can wait and you can put it off and you can procrastinate until it's too late and you will eventually come to Jesus and you will bow before him, acknowledge him as Lord. One day too late. God help us. Let me finish by talking about verse 18. He's the ruler of the faithful, Jesus Christ. Walk with me quickly. He's the overseer, the head of the body, the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, the body of Christ. But you know what that means? He's also the head of every local church of which you and I 
had the privilege to serve him in. He's the head. I'm grateful to God he's the head. Him being the head, he appoints pastors to lead the church under his authority. I really believe that. The church also along selects deacons to serve alongside the pastor to help the body grow, mature, and fulfill our mission. I really believe that. He is the overseer, the head, and we must always acknowledge him. Notice also he's the original, the firstborn from the dead. Wait a minute, you said, wait a minute, preach. He's not the first to be resurrected from the dead. <laughs> he wasn't the first, but he's the only resurrection that made redemption possible. Are you with me? I'll tell you something else. He's the only person who was ever resurrected from the dead that never had to die again. <laughs> How about that, amen? Lazarus died again. Jairus' daughter died again. Peter's mom-in-law died again. Jesus, according to Revelation chapter one, he is alive and he lives forevermore. He's also omnipotent. That in all things he may have the preeminence. Remember Mark chapter 2 when he said there's such a crowd that's trying to get their buddy to the house. Couldn't get him there. Said it was noised about that Jesus was in the house. Oh, it talks about his preeminence and how they had to get him there. Let me share with you this. I'm done. I have a book in my office. I meant to bring it out here with me. I forgot it. I do that sometimes, and I imagine you do too. I had a sweet lady when I served at Spring Creek Baptist Church in Rome, Georgia for 10 years. Sweet lady came to me one week, and she had told me that her daddy was a preacher, and he had passed away many years. And she brought me a book one night, and it was an original printing of the life and works of Dwight L. Moody. It had been... The spine had been replaced because it had come apart over the years. She said, preacher, her name was Elizabeth. Her husband was Jerry. And she came to me and handed me that book. She said, preacher, I want you to have this. This was one of my daddy's most treasured books. I've been blessed to have a lot of books to read, stuff, but I got some that I just about arm wrestle you over. You know what I mean? They're very special, you know? And, and uh, she said, this book right here, so special because special to my daddy and I really believe the Lord wants me for you to have it and I keep it very keep it very close but I read a lot about that book and a lot about Moody you know he was just one of those nobodies and when you read your article this week when you get to Alabama Baptist I want you to go back page of your custom and read, read the article I want you to read the story of how God took a, a nobody and created a whole bunch of somebodies that you'll recognize their names real well. But Dwight L. Moody, hey, he's a shoe salesman. But when God saved him, he became so passionate that he preached in churches, he rented out theaters, he even rented a circus tent when it wasn't being used just so he could share the gospel. His friends wanted him to at that time attacked the parliament of world religions. It was very prominent in those days, early 1900s, said, you, you need to speak out against the parliament of world religions. But he refused. And here's what he said. I'm just going to make Jesus Christ so attractive that men will turn to him. Wow. You know what he did? 
He said, I can spend my time barking at every car that comes by or I can just go preach the word and I can make much of Jesus and just let him draw. You know what? The word says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw them into me. Isn't that what he said? Moody understood something. He understood the preeminence of Jesus Christ as Savior, not just one of many religious leaders in history. And when he preached in 1893 at the Chicago campaign, which was one of his greatest evangelistic crusades, thousands came to Christ. They're saying, you need to go attack these folks over here. You need to go attack these folks that are different from us, that are preaching things that are unsound, unkind, and, and unbiblical. And he said, you know what I think I'll do? I'll just go make a big deal of Jesus. Years ago, I was um, challenged with that same thing. If you remember years ago, there was a guy, I think he passed in Florida somewhere, and I, I don't know him personally, and I'm not throwing rocks. I'm just telling you what he did. He had decided that he was going to gather up every copy of the Koran he could. He was going to have a Koran burning. He got on the news. Y'all remember that? It was on all the news. And people were coming from everywhere. And he was making a big deal, and he put it off. And, he, and Finally, I don't think it ever really happened, but I'm, I'm certain it didn't happen. But nevertheless, some people in our church came to me and said, what do you think about this? Well, I've learned this much as a pastor. If you ask me today, what do I think about something? If I don't know anything about it, I'll go research it before I'll spout off my mouth. Amen. So I said, well, I'm not really sure about that. So I went, look. And the more I watched, I thought, you know what? I'm not saying the, God, the Quran is a, uh, is a book that is not true. It's not inspired by God. It is not Holy Scripture. I get that. But the Lord spoke to me one morning and said, son, why don't you just focus on preaching what I said and let me take care of that stuff wow so I went to our church and I told them I said you know what I'm going to do just what I'm telling you today I'm not going to fuss fight and argue with a guy over here and I'm not going to burn his books or whatever because you can write all the stuff you want God only wrote one book and I'll put his book up against everything that's ever been printed and it is the only authoritative word that's ever came down from heaven into the heart of man that is changing the world. OSM Lockard said Harry couldn't kill him. The grave couldn't hold him. He's alive. And he is Lord. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, God, today we've been faithful to what you sent us here to do. I thank you for the power of your word, and I thank you for how it reminds me of how small I am, how big you are, how insignificant I am, and how great you are how you could just take a shoe salesman like D.L. Moody and light the fires of revival because he had one man in his church who cared just enough to share the gospel with him.
Father, I still believe you can do that today. Lord, we have so much static in our lives, so much pressure, so many people caving to the pressure. Oh, Lord, today, God, I pray you set somebody free. Somebody who's walking under condemnation. I pray you remove it today through their repentance. Your children who have retreated in fear and not responding by faith, who are not telling others about you or investing in the generation to come. I pray you convict us, God. And that we could not leave this place without repenting. God, for those who need to make decisions about their obedience and their journey with you, God, I pray you'd help them today. And God, today, may we all leave here changed. In Christ's name. Our heads and bowed eyes are closed. Here's the invitation just a moment we'll stand and sing as we customarily do no we don't do this out of habit we don't do it because it's in the program we do this because when the gospel is presented we must be like Jesus we must invite you to follow him if God has spoken to you today and made you aware that you're not his child he so desperately desires for you to be And as he speaks to your heart today, I would plead with you at this invitation as we stand and sing in a moment to just slip into the nearest aisle. You come from, you say, I'm fearful. I don't want to be in front of people. I don't want to be embarrassed. And I promise you, we'll do zero to embarrass you. There's times, as God spoke to my heart many years ago, you've got to quit following the crowd regardless of your age. You've got to step out. You gotta realize he didn't create you to fit in. He created you to stand out. You slip in that nearest aisle and make you well, I'll be here to receive you. Like I said, I'll not embarrass you. I'll not put a microphone on you and say none of that stuff that you may have seen that would scare you. But I really care about where you're gonna spend eternity. I'd love to help you with that today. If you're a day and you're a Christian, you say, I just need to come talk to God. Maybe I I need to make sure that my walk's right. And that doesn't mean you've done anything bad. It's not anything that anybody should, you worry about people as a Christian. Sometimes we worry about maintaining this, this uh, you know, reputation of having it all together. <laughs> None of us got it all together. We all work in progress. We need God's help. You worry about somebody's going to go home and talk about you over dinner, then they need to be beside you. Don't worry about them. You worry about what God knows about you, not what others think about you. If you're a Christian, you need to make decisions about your obedience and your work for the Lord through the local church. And you come, I'll be glad to help you. Others will be glad to help you too. We really love you and we mean it. And your obedience today is the most important thing. Father, do what only you can do now. Draw your net.
how we've laid our net in the water. Let you draw it. May lives be changed in Jesus' name. Let's stand our feet all across the house. Marty leads us as God speaks to your heart. Would you just be obedient to the Lord this morning? Marty, when you're ready, buddy. speaking to us today. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated as our ushers are coming. As they're coming, I want to encourage you to be faithful as always. And I want to say to you as they're coming to today, I really hope and I hope you always know that uh, I tell you, when you come, I've made preparation for you to be here. You've mattered to me. I've talk to God about you long before I've talked to you about God it's very important to do that and that I really poured my heart and soul into what I do and that you matter so much and I really want to help you and I want you to know something the help doesn't end just because the sermon's over it doesn't help just because the service will conclude here in just a little bit if there's ever anything you need from God don't ever feel like you got to leave this property with preachers too busy or whatever. I'm a product of a preacher that stopped the handshaking line to deal with my eternity, and I ain't ever got over it, amen? And, uh, and I want to help you with that. So don't think that because service is over, maybe I didn't come forward that, that, that nobody will help me. You don't have to carry anything home with you that's hindering you. I really desire to see you walk in freedom, I desire to see you walk with joy and I desire to see you bring glory to God from your life. Amen. And when you do that as a church collectively, we can all feed off that. Amen. 
I know one good thing. We talk about the negative effects of peer pressure. There's a positive thing if it's not peer pressure. It's just being an example of godliness when you lead others to want to love Jesus more because they see you loving him so much. Amen? I really hope that I can be a person in your life like that and that others are. That when you leave, you say, like a lady told me a long time ago, said, Preacher, I'm not real convinced about all this stuff you say about the Bible, but I'm convinced you're convinced. Amen? And I hope you go away today saying, you know, our pastor, he's convinced, and I am. I'm not just convinced, I've been transformed, and he's still working in that process, and I'm grateful to God for Jesus. Amen? So as we give today, we're giving from our hearts, not grudgingly nor of necessity, giving cheerfully, sacrificially, joyfully, because we believe God is doing something in, in a small Alabama town that's touching the world and going to do so in greater magnitude in the days ahead, okay? So let's join our hearts together and ask God's blessings on our giving.
real quick before we get out today. I hope you're planning a great afternoon. Maybe it won't be too cool this afternoon, uh, but I do want to remind you, as always, this Wednesday at 6 o'clock, adults in this room we're in, and uh, children and students also, everybody on camp, 6 o'clock on Wednesdays. Don't forget that. And uh, I pray you were able to write down something today that will help you. Take we I had a friend of mine that told me that, uh, especially like going through books like we're doing, uh, some of these folks would get a three-ring, a little small three-ring binder and just put their notes in each week, and it helped them in their personal Bible study. And I would be blessed to know if that would help you. I would encourage you to do that. If you're like me, sometimes stuff ends up in your seat, and you just go through there and have a cleaning out party, <laughs> and you clean X's and your bottle caps and you. Carmex tubes and all that stuff. It's, nah. But I encourage you to do that. I do love you. I deeply want to help you. I read the word of God. I believe if we could just get it right that he is Lord, everything else would fall in place. Don't you? I really do. So let's just pray much for the coming week. Uh, choir's meeting at 4.30 today. Don't forget that. So if you'd like to be a part of music ministry, please feel free to come and join uh, at 4.30 this afternoon. And I don't ever want you to forget that I love you. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Amen? Y'all believe that? I hope you do because I, I, I believe you love me because I know you pray for me. And I hope you know how much I pray for you. And I thank God for every one.